book two chapter twenty one of the leopard's spots by thomas dixon jr this librivox recording is in the public domain recorded by michelle fry book two love's dream chapter twenty one why the preacher threw his life away while mrs worth and sally were still in the north the reverend john durham received a unanimous call to the pastorate of one of the most powerful baptist churches in boston with a salary of five thousand dollars a year he was receiving a salary of nine hundred dollars at hambright which could boast at most a population of two thousand he declined the call by return mail the committee were thunderstruck at this quick adverse decision refused to consider it final and wrote him a long urgent letter of protest against such ill-considered treatment they urged that he must come to boston and preach one sunday at least in answer to their generous offer before rendering a final decision he consented to do so and went to boston he sought sally the day after his arrival ah my beautiful daughter of the south it's good to see you shining here in the midst of the splendors of the hub the fairest of them all he said shaking her hand feelingly you mean pining not shining she protested that's better still i knew your heart was in the right place how is he doctor she asked he's trying to pull himself together with his work and succeeding the shock of a great sorrow has steadied his nerves broadened his sympathies and it will make him a man a look of longing came over her face i don't want him to be too strong without me she faltered never fear he's so despondent at times i have to try to laugh him out of countenance she smiled and pressed his hand for answer as he rose to go how do you like these yankees miss sally i've been surprised and charmed beyond measure with everything i've seen you don't say so how well i thought they were cold-blooded and inhospitable i never made a more foolish mistake i have never been more at home or been treated more graciously in the south to tell you the truth they seem like our most cultured people at home warm-hearted cordial sensible and neighborly mamma is so pleased she's trying to claim kin with the puritans through her scotch covenant her ancestry after all i believe you are right i never preached in my life to so sensitive an audience there's an atmosphere of solid comfort good sense and intelligence that holds me in a spell here this is the place in which i've dreamed i'd like to live and work then you will accept doctor now listen to you child don't you think i've a heart too my brain and body longs for such a home but my heart's down south with mine own people who love and need me the committee did their best to bring the preacher to a favorable decision at once but he smiled a firm refusal they refused to report it to the church and sent deacon crane now a venerable man of seventy-six the warmest admirer of the preacher among them all to hambright they authorized him to make an amazing offer of salary if that would be any inducement and they felt sure it would when the deacon reached hambright and saw its poverty and general air of unimportance he felt encouraged a man of such power stay a lifetime in this little hole impossible he exclaimed under his breath when he looked out of the bus along the wide deserted-looking streets with a straggling cottage here and there on either side 
he stopped at the same hotel with the preacher and became his shadow for a week he was seated with him under the oak in the square threshing over his argument for the hundredth time in the most good-natured but everlastingly persistent way doctor it's perfect nonsense for a man of your magnificent talents of your culture and power over an audience to think of living always in a little village like this no deacon my work is here for the south but my dear man in boston it would be for the whole nation north and south i'll tell you what we will do say you will come and we will make your salary eight thousand a year that's the largest salary ever offered to a baptist preacher in america you will pack our church with people give us new life and we can afford it you will be a power in boston and a power in the world the preacher smiled and was silent at length he said i appreciate your offer deacon you paid me the highest compliment you know how to express but you prosperous yankees can't get into your heads the idea that there are many things which money can't measure but we know a good thing when we see it and we go for it interrupted the deacon believe me continued the preacher i appreciate the sacrifice the generosity the breadth of sympathy this offer shows in your hearts but it is not for me my work is here i don't mind confessing to you that you have vastly pleased me with that offer i'll brag about it to myself the rest of my life but doctor think how much greater power a generous salary will give you in furnishing your equipment for work and in ministering to any cause you may have at heart pleaded the deacon i don't know i have a salary of nine hundred dollars with five hundred i buy books food clothing shelter the companionship for the soul the balance suffices for the body i haven't time to bother with money the man who receives a big salary must live up to its social obligations and he must pay for it with his life doctor there must be some tremendous force that holds you to such a decision in a village it seems to me that you are throwing your life away there is a tremendous force deacon it is the overwhelming sense of obligation i feel to my own people who have suffered so much and are still in the grip of poverty and threatened with greater trials i can't leave my own people while they are struggling yet with this unsolved negro problem two great questions shadow the future of the american people the conflict between labor and capital and the conflict between the african and the anglo-saxon race the greatest most dangerous the most hopeless of these is the latter my place is here the deacon laughed you're a crank on that subject come to boston and you will see with a better perspective that the question is settling itself in fact the war absolutely settled it deacon said the preacher with a quizzical expression about his eyes do you believe in the doctrine of election yes i do i thought so you know i never saw a man who believed in the doctrine of election who didn't believe he was elected i never saw a man in my life except a lying politician who declared the negro problem was settled unless he had removed his family to a place of fancied safety where he would never come in contact with it and they all believe that the negro's place is in the south the deacon laughed good-naturedly come with us and we will show you greater problems for one the life and death struggle of christianity itself with modern materialism i tell you the negro problem was settled when slavery was destroyed 
you never made a sadder mistake the south did not fight to hold slaves our confederate government at richmond offered to guarantee to europe the freedom of every slave for the recognition of our independence slavery was bound of its own weight to fall virginia came within one vote in her assembly of freeing her slaves years before the war but for the frenzy of your abolition fanatics who first sought to destroy the union by secession and then forced secession on the south we would have freed the slaves before this without a war from the very necessities of the progress of the material world to say nothing of its moral progress we fought for the rights we held under the old constitution made by a slaveholding aristocracy but we collided with the resistless movement of humanity from the idea of local sovereignty towards nationalism centralization solidarity that's why i say interrupted the deacon your negro question has already been settled the nation has become a reality not a name and that is why i know deacon insisted the preacher that we have not only not settled this question we haven't even faced the issues nationality demands solidarity and you can never get solidarity in a nation of equal rights out of two hostile races that do not intermarry in a democracy you cannot build a nation inside of a nation of two antagonistic races and therefore the future america must be either an anglo-saxon or a mulatto and if a mulatto will the future be worth discussing i never thought of it just that way answered the deacon it is my work to maintain the racial absolutism of the anglo-saxon in the south politically socially economically but can it be done i see many evidences of a mixture of blood already said the deacon seriously yes we are doing it this mixture you observe has no social significance for a simple reason it is all the result of the surviving polygamous and lawless instincts of the white male unless by the gradual encroachments of time culture wealth and political exigencies the time comes that a negro shall be allowed freely to choose a white woman for his wife the racial integrity remains intact the right to choose one's mate is the foundation of racial life and of civilization the south must guard with flaming sword every avenue of approach to this holy of holies and there are many subtle forces at work to obscure these possible approaches well no matter broke in the deacon come with us and you will have more power to touch with your ideas the wealth and virtue of the whole nation the preacher was silent a moment and seemed to be musing in a sort of half dream the deacon looked at him with a growing sense of the hopelessness of his task but of surprise at this revelation of the secrets of his inner life the south has been voiceless in these latter years he went on her voice has been drowned in a din of catcalls from an army of cheap scribblers and demagogues but when these children we are rearing down here grow rocked in their cradles of poverty nurtured in the fierce struggle to save the life of a mighty race they will find speech and their songs will fill the world with pathos and power i've studied your great cities believe me the south is worth saving against the possible day when a flood of foreign anarchy threatens the foundations of the republic and men shall laugh at the faiths of your fathers and undigested wealth beyond the dreams of avarice rots your society until it mocks at honor love and god 
against that day we will preserve the south the preacher's voice was now vibrating with deep feeling and the deacon listened with breathless interest believe me deacon the ark of the covenant of american ideals rests today on the appalachian mountain range of the south when your metropolitan mob shall knock at the doors of your life and demand the reason of your existence from these poverty-stricken homes with their old-fashioned perhaps medieval ideas will come forth the fierce athletic sons and sweet-voiced daughters in whom the nation will find a new birth the preacher's eyes had filled with tears and his voice dropped into a low dreamlike prophecy you cannot understand he resumed in a clear voice why i feel so profoundly depressed just now because the republican party which with you stands for the virtue wealth and intelligence of the community is now in charge of this state i will tell you why a republican administration in north carolina simply means a negro oligarchy the state is now being debauched and degraded by this fact in the innermost depths of its character and life my place is here in this fight but doctor will not your industrial training of the negro gradually minimize any danger to your society no it will gradually increase it industrial training gives power if the negro ever becomes a serious competitor of the white laborer in the industries of the south the white man will kill him just as your labor unions do in the north now where the conditions of life are hard and men fight with tooth and nail for bread if you train the negroes to be scientific farmers they will become a race of aristocrats and when five generations removed from the memory of slavery a war of races will be inevitable unless the anglo-saxon grant this trained and wealthy african equal social rights the anglo-saxon cannot do this without suicide one drop of negro blood makes a negro i can't tell you how sorry i am doctor that i can't persuade you to become our pastor but i can understand since this talk something of the larger views of your duty the deacon sought mrs durham that evening and laid siege to her resolutely ah deacon you're shrewd you're going to flatter me but i can't let you i'm an old fogey and out of date i'm not orthodox on the negro from boston's point of view nonsense growled the deacon we don't care what you or the doctor either thinks about the negro or the jap or the chinaman we want a preacher imbued with the power of the holy ghost to preach the gospel of christ well you have quite captured me since you have been here you are a revelation to me of what a deacon might be to a pastor and his wife to be frank with you i am on your side i am tired of the negro i don't want to solve him he is an impossible job from my point of view i should be delighted to go to boston now and begin life over again but i do not figure in the decision dr durham settles such questions for himself and i respect him more for it encouraged by this decision of his wife the deacon renewed his efforts to change the preacher's mind next day in vain he stayed over sunday heard him preach two sermons and sorrowfully bade him good-bye on monday he carried back to boston his final word declining this call as the deacon stepped on the train he warmly pressed his hand and said god bless you doctor if you ever need a friend you know my name and address
end of book two chapter twenty one